Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of For the Good of the Game, a unique podcast dedicated to providing football insights and life skills. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, guys, JD coming to you from Houston, Texas today, where we are very, very pleased to have former Oregon Duck and Atlanta Falcon quarterback Chris Miller, who is currently serving as the offensive coordinator for the XFL's Houston Roughnecks. C-Mill, welcome to the program today. My pleasure, J.D. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking time out of your ultra-busy schedule, given the fact that this is Game 2 weekend, <laughs> and, uh, and I certainly can well appreciate knowing what you're going through. I'm just going to dive right in. I wanted to give um, folks just a, a, a quick synoptic view, if you would, of your football journey coming through, just briefly through high school, Oregon, up to the point where you got drafted. And then we're going to go from there and dive into a few things. I want to give them a little perspective right off the bat. All right, sounds good. Well, I'm a I'm an Oregon boy. Uh, went through grade school, through high school there, and and decided to stay home and play college football at University of Oregon. And uh, was a first round draft pick for the Atlanta Falcons in 1987, and uh, played from 1987 to 1999 uh, in the National Football League on three different teams. And then I went back, did some high school coaching for a while, coached uh, with my good friend Ken Wisenhunt for four years with the Arizona Cardinals as quarterback coach, Uh, did some more high school coaching. And then my good friend June Jones reached out to me and offered me this job with the Houston Roughnecks. And here I sit, man, preparing for St. Louis in two days. Isn't that amazing? I tell you what, I uh, I want to I want to touch on a little bit because of your experience at all levels, uh, both as a player and a coach. Um, what do you think overall, at least from where you sit through the face mask as a quarterback, how the game has evolved since, say, you know, you came out of high school and got uh, got to Oregon. Um, you know, there was a little bit of trepidation with you going to Oregon for college football because of the knee injury you had in high school. And uh, you had a great career at Oregon and then obviously got, you know, picked. You were the 13th overall pick, as I recall, right? Correct. Good yeah. memory. Yeah, and uh, and and so moving into that, what talk a little bit about the evolution of the game from from the perspective of a quarterback, both from you know playing and coaching. Well, I tell you, the biggest thing, uh, you know, in high school, it was strictly a two back offense with a tight end, and you were exotic if you went slot. You know, if both receivers were on the same side, or or you went split backs or something like that. Uh, moved on to college, and I had Bob Toledo as my offensive coordinator and he coached at UCLA amongst some other places. And, and then we got into a little bit of 11 personnel, three wide receivers running back in a tight end. So that was a little bit more exotic. Um, and then I think Don Coriel and uh, jo- uh, Bill Walsh and some of those guys, and obviously Mouse Davis and June Jones kind of took the lid off uh, when their offenses became more exotic and more explosive. They started scoring more points, throwing for a lot more yards. So I think there for a long time, the game was very conservative. Uh, and now it's, uh, you know, wide open with the air raid offenses and the run and shoots and the spread offenses. And and I think the biggest evolution in the game was we used to be live bullets in games. I mean, we would get head slapped and banged and knocked out. And so I think the evolution really has become uh, around the concussions and preventative measures, return to play policies, uh, protecting the quarterbacks because the game isn't the same if the frontline quarterback is not playing. You know, we've seen that uh, definitely in the NFL, and it will be the same way in the XFL. So I think the rule changes have been very beneficial for the safety of the game and the, and the quality of the product. 
Uh, it promotes uh, high-scoring, exciting games to watch, and, and so it's been fun to see the evolution of football from back in the early 80s till 2020. Yeah, and you just touched on a very important piece because I know that um, there was a period of your career toward the end where you had suffered like five concussions in a in a fairly short period, 12 to 14 months or something like that, and you you stepped away from the game for a period before coming back with the Broncos and then ultimately because of a concussion decided to retire for good. Is that correct? That's exactly right, J.D. I, uh, you know, back in the day when we got them early in my career, you just kind of shake it off. You know, you'd shake it off and you sure. try to keep playing. And it was just kind of the norm. And think about linebackers, you know, or running backs who had those, you know, car collision uh, crash uh, contact and, so we'd, we'd just keep playing. I remember in 19, 1995, I was playing with the St. Louis Rams and leading the NFL, seven touchdown passes, no interceptions. We were 4-0 and and playing Chicago uh, early in the fourth quarter. I took an elbow to the temple and was knocked out on the turf. And I was the NFC player of the week that week and came back the next week, had an off week of practice, just didn't feel right, didn't execute very well played against the San Francisco 49ers the next week and felt like I was playing on the subway in New York City, just in this tunnel. My vision was affected. You know, the game was fast. My brain function was slow. And I threw four interceptions in the first half. And nobody really identified why. I, I didn't identify why. I didn't know. But I think now with the awareness of it, uh, the testing on the sideline, if a guy gets ding or gets his bell rung during the game, he's taken over and evaluated. I don't think that the game of football has ever been in a safer or better place than it is currently. And, and I'm glad you said that because I am of the camp that I want to educate, particularly for young parents who are trying to make decisions about their, their sons or daughters, in some cases, playing tackle football. Um, I, I agree with you, and I think that too often because of the overreaction in some cases, and I'm not downplaying the concussion piece by any means, um, but in the overreaction yeah. mode, you know, we tend to overlook uh, the the benefits of the, you know, it, what it teaches in terms of being a great teammate, grit, determination, responsibility, those types of things. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you yeah. brought that up. What, let, let me caveat, or I'm sorry, let me transition to uh, something you just mentioned with the safety of the game. And, 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 you know, there's a little bit of the speed up the play piece, but... I found it fascinating to watch with some of the rule changes, particularly the this past weekend with the first round of games for the XFL, the extra point and the kickoff. I, I actually love the kickoff. I, I think it's uh, yeah. I think it's right kind of cool. From your perspective as an OC, how do you see that playing out down the road? I mean, realize this is the first year; it's a little bit of a, a crystal ball question, but. How do you, I mean, is there, is yeah. there a tendency to want to game it a little bit, given the way that you guys are doing the kickoffs? Well, I think it's, first of all, I think it's great. I think it's, uh, I think about 80% of NFL kickoffs are touchback. So it's kind of a wasted play. Um, I think they do it just to appease the, the purity of the game, if you will. But our kickoff, I really think uh, Oliver Luck and his team, uh, in designing the kickoff, number one, it's extremely safe because you eliminate that long run and those violent collisions. Uh, number two, the returner is not getting blown up and knocked out and limp laying on the field with an arm, fly, you know, flashing up in the air or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I think there's a lot of there's there's a lot of strategy involved too. Absolutely. Um, you know, how do you cover it? How do you cover it? How do you block it? But uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's structured very soundly and well. There are penalties now. We kicked one off last week out of bounds, 
and L.A. got the ball on our 45-yard line. So you talk about penal. It was crazy. And then if it goes into the end zone, you get it on uh, your 35. So it's really a, a, a it's really structured where, you know, the ball needs to be kicked inbounds to encourage a return, which is one of the most exciting games in football. And then the extra point is really interesting because you go for one point from the two, two points from the five, or three points from the ten, and it's your option to decide what you want to do. So really, if you score first, you kind of have to figure out, okay, what's my strategy? If the other team scores first, you need to kind of figure out, okay, do I want to match them? Do I want to try to take a one-point lead? And then that, that game kind of goes back and forth where you're really just projecting how much do we want to be in front. Uh, if you're up 18, I'm still only up two scores if we're up 18. So you do, do you go for two to three, two or three to get up 19, for an example. So a lot of strategy involved. And uh, as a coach, it's kind of fun to go through that strategy. And it will evolve as the season goes along for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think that it would be fascinating to have those types of options, particularly in your position. Um, you know, and to be able to really play upon the strengths of, of various position players that you have. So I think that'll be neat going, you know, going forward. Let me uh, take a little bit of a step back and talk a little bit about, because you and I were both involved in another effort for another league that had, did, not, did not get off the ground. So it raises the question of, for years, C-Mill, there have been multiple people in high places talking about the fact that the college game does not adequately prepare players and more so by position in some cases than others uh, for the NFL game. So where do you see the XFL from your foxhole right now um, filling that void? Do you, do you believe with what you've seen in this, in this infant season that that will develop a possibility of becoming kind of that almost like, I hate to say minor league, but it has a baseballish feel to it. But what do you think about the, you know, that how it's going to develop? Well, I think I think it's really going to serve a, a purpose. I think number one, I think college is doing a really good job preparing guys coming into the NFL. Now, quarterbacks may be a different animal. You know, you talk about the Cam Newtons or guys who stare over at the sideline and look at these colorful signs, and they get their plays off those signs, and then they give a snap count. Um, that's not NFL football or XFL football, for that matter. You know, uh, but we are getting plays called into the quarterbacks on a on a headset. Uh, so it's a, a quick function, but in terms of uh, in terms of the XFL, what I really think it's going to work well for a guy like PJ Walker, who's our starting quarterback. He was with the Indianapolis Indianapolis Colts, and being a third quarterback, you don't get much work. You get a little bit of work in preseason, you get a little bit of work in OTAs and such, but you don't get work under live game situations, taking live bullets. So. I think uh, film is a great evaluator for professional athletes. And TJ is going to get 10 games of film with us. He had a productive, uh, great week. And I think he already has one or two teams that reached out that are interested in him once our season is done. So in terms of scheduling, I think uh, Vince McMahon and Oliver Luck, our, our owner and our CEO president, did a great job of structuring this season where it goes right up uh, to, to late April. The NFL draft is in late April, and then a bunch of our players in this league, I guarantee you, will fill out the back end of rosters of NFL clubs after they see what areas they need to fill in. And not only fill in, but I think a lot of our guys, a lot of our guys, probably about 50% of our roster, have some sort of NFL experience, whether it's being on a futures contract or being on a practice squad or, you know, Coney Ely played in the Super Bowl with the Carolina Panthers, one of our D linemen. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's structured well, and I think they'll complement each other, and it'll be a – a nice, 
mechanism for the NFL to, to fill their rosters and, and get some good quality players who have uh, film now available for evaluation. Yeah, I think, and, and you were talking about the timing. That, that's an interesting piece because season ending in April and then we roll into, you know, the, the phase of, of doing the, uh, you know, the draft or the combine hits and then the draft and then we roll into mini camps down the road. What does the XFL season, or let me be more specific, the XFL offseason cycle look like at this point? What do you anticipate after your season ends and some of those guys go away? How are you looking at filling rosters and conducting, you know, evals and things like that? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think it'll it'll be a little bit. Uh, we'll lose a lot of guys, I think, uh, in the league and on our rosters. So uh, it's a little bit like a JC feel, if you will, or something like that. But we'll uh, we'll we'll get away for a while, and then over the summertime, you know, probably in July and August, our player personnel guys will go out and scout NFL rosters and maybe some of the back end of the rosters of guys that may not stick, uh, and those will be a, a way we fill our rosters and the voids that we have. Uh, also, we will have uh, XFL tryout camps again with the eight clubs in our uh, headquarters. So we'll have uh, invite only uh, players will come in and have tryouts to, to, to fill roster spots again. And, and then once the NFL season gets going and they have their roster cuts, we will also fill our rosters with those guys. So I know that we will be allowed to retain, you know, we have 52 players on our roster. I'm not sure what the number is, but I think we'll be able to uh, uh, earmark like 25 to 30 players maybe that we uh, are on our roster that we save that nobody can touch unless they go to the NFL, and then we'll have to fill the other spots. Hmm. I think that's that's uh, it's kind of cool because you talk about, you know, and, and I, I hate to use this term, but it's, it's representative metaphorically of, you know, you manage your inventory of players, basically. And, and, it, and it does give yeah. you kind of that cycle. Now, there are many, many yeah. countries playing football, many pro programs. Now, those are foreign pro programs, more like a club team. Do you ever see there being an avenue for guys, from the, you know, even whether expats who have gone overseas or guys that grew up in these countries that played American football their whole life, being able to come in and, and try and break into the XFL? Well, I would say that would probably be a, a limited percentage. You know, there might be, I know in the NFL, they did a story a year or two ago on a guy uh, from out of the country who made a roster. I can't remember what position he played, whether he was a returner, a long snapper, or what his story was. But I would say that would be a small percentage. I mean, there's so many tremendous athletes uh, in the U.S. who don't make it in the NFL. But you look at our rosters. I mean, there's 52 per team. There's 18. So what is that? 416 players that are. Uh, playing in our league and is that right yeah 416 i'm checking my math here um <laughs> that are playing in our league and, and several other guys who got cut and we got some talent i mean there's uh, we have a lot of talent on our roster guys who can play who are very good uh same on other rosters so there might be some overseas players who are unique uh but nowadays it seems like much as in the nba or college if there are great players overseas, they are sought out and found somehow, and they're getting into a college program or something, or the NFL is discovering them. But uh, I can see there being maybe a handful of guys uh, over time that uh, that uh, maybe make their way into the XFL or at least try out camp. Yeah, and you hit on it. I think it's much more likely that guys come in, and much like we've seen in, in college uh, basketball for years, where guys get recruited from other countries, um, whether they were playing, you know, club ball over there or not, just 
and being using that as kind of a pipeline to get to the NBA if they're good enough. But I, I was just curious in terms of what you've seen. How do you think um, the overall, uh, when you look at the professional development and then the drive and attitude from what you saw when you were in the NFL, both as a player and a coach, to what you see in, in the XFL now, is there a requisite level, similar level of of hunger and drive for these guys knowing that, hey, I've got this opportunity that could open a door to the big stage and I'm going to take advantage of it. Is it is it a little better or about the same as what you saw when you were in the NFL, either playing or coaching? Well, I think in the NFL, those guys who are frontline guys, they feel pretty comfortable. Uh, you know, if you're a professional, you still prepare and go about your job like you're professional, whether you're Larry Fitzgerald or a Kurt Warner or a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees or Russell Wilson, whatever the example may be. Now those back end guys who are borderline guys or maybe three, four, five year veteran guys, you know, they have to take a little more seriousness to how they go about it because they know they're expendable. You know, they can bring in a rookie at a four hundred eighty, five hundred thousand dollar rookie minimum contract and maybe move somebody out that's at nine hundred thousand or a million dollars or something like that. So sure. you know, I think that 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 is a tough situation for those players. But I tell you what, what I've seen with the XFL is there are guys who are hungry that want the opportunity to get back uh, to the NFL or get a chance. Uh, there are guys who have a kind of a personal agenda and that that's kind of what they're mainly only focused on is, Hey, I got to get my reps and get my film so I can get back. And there's a little, there's a little selfishness in there that we've kind of discovered that we're working through some of those challenges. But uh, and then you have the guys who just want to play football for another year or two, like Will Hill. We're playing a free safety from St. Louis this week. I want to say he's about 31, 32, 33. I was in the National Football League for several years, and he's just playing more football. He loves the game of football and wants to play as long as he can, so this is a good home for him. So it's kind of a variety of different motivations, but I'd say majority of the guys are very hungry appreciative and humble for the opportunity and are, are giving us everything they have. And they, uh, they appreciate the level of coaching that they're getting as well. That's awesome. Well, they, they certainly knowing that, you know, you've got June Jones as a head coach and Ted Cottrell, who we interviewed earlier in the year as the defensive coordinator. And uh, did you guys end up bringing uh, wild Bill Bradley on board as well? Bill has been up here hanging with us about the last 10 days or two weeks. Uh, you know, he's got a, a great background. I think one year he had 11, uh, 11 interceptions in the NFL and led the NFL. I think the following year he had nine, and he's a Texas guy. So he's a great resource to have. And here we have Dan Morrison on our offensive staff who's been with June Jones for 19 years at Hawaii and, and SMU, and he's 70, and he's a genius. And and so, uh, you know, we've got Tom Mason, a longtime a college uh, D coordinator and coach. And our coaching staff is, is pretty experienced and uh, – and they're a bunch of good guys too. So it's it's also very enjoyable and very fun. And our coaching room is awesome. And and you know we're not killing ourselves working 11, 12 months out of the year. It's about a five and a half, six month job. So it's a it's a win win for in a lot of different ways for coaches and the players. Absolutely. Listen, Chris, I want to be sensitive to your schedule. I know you guys have uh, practice this afternoon. So I wanted to kind of give you a parting shot and kind of a, you know, and for those listeners that may not know, um, Chris was uh, coaching high school ball recently uh, back up in. Uh, Oregon, uh, prior to coming into the XFL, it was uh, West Lynn High School, correct, Chris? Yep, yeah, West Lynn High School. And yep. uh, so I, I wanted to ask this, as it can give you the parting shot here, and from a kind of a, knowing that the 
all levels that you have played and coached at. And, and the reason I bring up the Westland piece is because it's important to me for the message we try to get across. 70% of kids in this country stop playing youth sports by the age of 13. And I think it's so important that mm-hmm. coaches who have been recently experienced the high school level have a good positive message from a, from a for the good of the game perspective. What might you say to a young athlete in the job you're in now, looking back on you know, middle schoolers getting ready for high school and eventually college and, and with hopes of trying to play professionally at some level, what's, what's the, the recipe for success from your standpoint based on your journey through football? Well, I tell you, number one, I would encourage uh, middle school kids going into high school to play as many sports as you can. Um, you know, the day and age of three-sport athletes is almost gone. It's uh, very limited. There are very few uh, young girls or boys who are playing three sports in high school. And unfortunately, it's a shame. I think it's due to the climate of specialization, uh, of club teams, of year-round training, of the proverbial dollar and the parents chasing scholarships for their daughter or son. Uh, and unfortunately, it's kind of the, the day and age nowadays. So number one, I would encourage high school kids to play as many sports as you can and enjoy it, uh, experience it, uh, have fun, because really it gets more serious after that. I think number two, um, you know, that being said, I think if you want to be great, you know, one of the sayings and mantras I use is the greatest players in the world work the hardest. Uh, and I witnessed that with Larry Fitzgerald when I coached him for three years or four years in Arizona, uh, you know, future Hall of Famer, tremendous work ethic. I played with Jerry Rice in the Pro Bowl in 1992. And we went out to throw routes on air to warm up and he's going 100 miles an hour and I'm on an aloha pace, chilling and going nice <laughs> and smooth. And I said to myself, boy, I better pick this up or I'm going to look bad at Jerry Rice and I don't want to do that. So, and then I coached Kurt Warner for four years, uh, or not four, I guess I got him two years, 2008, 2009, before he retired. But uh, just his work ethic and to see what type of professional he was. So uh, young athletes, I would just encourage them to, uh, you know, if you want to be great, man, you got to put the work in. you got to put the work in with the private training, uh, studying film in the weight room, uh, taking care of your body, making good decisions. And But at the same time, like I said earlier, John, I would encourage kids to play as many sports as you can. And if a coach is giving you a bad time, screw that coach, because if you're a good enough player, he's going to want you on his team or her team. So, you know, experience it and have fun. And, and uh, you know, high school, I think, is the, the funnest and most purest form of sport. So I think kids need to really enjoy it before it kind of gets serious at the next level. Yeah, I know I, know I heard it when I was graduating and I said it when I was coaching. You know, it's, it's once your high school career is over, regardless of what else you do, everything changes. And I, I think that's great advice. Well, listen, Seamil, I really want to tell you, I, I just cannot express enough thanks for you taking time out of your super busy schedule. I look forward to the time we get to go face to face again and, uh, and, and just shoot the breeze and talk football. But this has been awesome. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. J.D., thanks for having me on. I'd do it anytime for you and keep up the great work. Guys, it's been great talking to Chris Miller, the offensive coordinator of the XFL's Houston Roughnecks. Just remember, when you're out there doing something for football, do it for the good of the game. Take care. See you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Please be sure to save this episode to your favorites and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, remember, whatever you do in football, do it for the good of the game.